Welcome to The Great Conversation, where ideas matter, ideas shape markets, ideas can change the world. Uh, the Great Conversation started off as an event. And if we were fortunate, we would bring different practitioners, some who were thought leaders, who could share their experiences with others with the idea that we could improve ourselves as leaders, as practitioners, and, uh, and come out of there with some insights, even if it was a nugget or two. And so I would look for those insights all year long. And I would network heavily with others who said, boy, you got to get a hold of this guy. This guy has some great ideas. Well, I'm emceeing one of the events one day, and, um, and I'm introduced between sessions to Tyson Aiken, who back then was a um, safety and security director for Nike. And uh, what I didn't know is the conversation would take an incredible <laughs> trajectory around holistic thinking. I mean, we got into leadership, we got into ecosystems, we got into theology, we got into poetry, we got into philosophy. I mean, we were, and that was just between sessions. Later on, we'd have many phone calls after that. So if, if any man is a liberal arts thinker, like I am, it's Tyson Aiken. And I said, let's, let's catch up, Tyson. It's been too long. Great yeah, having you on the great conversation. Thank you, Ron. Really, really appreciate it. It's always... Always a real pleasure speaking with you. I, I look forward to, to our conversations and uh, yeah, just, just, just love connecting. It's great. Thanks for having me. Well, you're the only guy in the security industry I know who can quote Tennyson. So I, I, I've always <laughs> liked that. <laughs> that's great. That's not great. to yeah. yield, not to yield. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Ulysses is one of my favorites. Uh, it comes to mind very often, very often, especially, you know, as, as, as we get older and take stock of our lives, I think uh, I often think of Ulysses sitting and thinking about uh, one more thing that he wants to do. And uh, yeah, we, we still have we still have work left to do, don't we? Well, we what a great segue too. so you were at Nike, I think, around eight years. Um, That's right. Before that, you were with the uh, little three letter agency having some fun in the intelligence sector. That's right. And um, and you find yourself, we had these wonderful conversations after you left Nike, you, we found yourself being able to start thinking about more, I call it blank slate. It's like, yeah. here, here, yeah. Is what, here is what I've learned and what I've done. And here's what I look like from my family standpoint, my friend's standpoint, my professional standpoint. And you were doing a lot of thinking about that. And I thought it would really be cool if you were willing to be transparent on the great conversation just to describe that journey and what you learned. Oh yeah, no, I'm happy to do so. Thanks. I, I don't know if I, I'm, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a journal writer, so I haven't really, uh, you know, thought about this in a coherent way. So I'll, I'll give you sort of what I'm thinking and hopefully it's, uh, it's concise as a, you know, as you well know, and, and those who know me, I, I, I sometimes have a tendency to ramble on. And so, uh, I'll try to make it rather concise. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly right. I, uh, I left Nike the end of 2020, and I started at WCS the end of 2021. And 
the year in between was amazing on a lot of levels. I, uh, I had a business, I, I you know, I, I had a, a consulting business with a close friend of mine and uh, we engaged in some really interesting projects, uh, you know, but in the, yeah, as those who know in the realm of consulting, there's, uh, there's times when you're working and times when you're not. I had lots of time to consider, as, as, as you rightly point out, consider my values, my, uh, my life history, my trajectory, where I wanted to go. I mean, and, and, uh, and I do recognize the, the privilege of a little free time to, to think. Uh, a lot of our uh, a lot of our colleagues in the security world, uh, you know, sort of writ large, like all aspects of the security world, I think are. Um, I don't think I'm speaking out of school here. We're we're overemployed. A lot of our colleagues are overemployed and and spend, um, you know, spend a lot of their waking hours engaged in work activities. So I so I don't um, I don't discount the fact that I had a great privilege to really consider what I wanted to do in life and to think about what was important to me. Um, that thought process and um, those sort of that continuing and evolving thought process really shaped and guided my job search because I, I was always looking to see if there was something out there that I would like to do. And certainly, you know, things come up. Um, you know, there were there were opportunities in the for-profit world. A lot of a lot of things just didn't speak to me, and I and you know I didn't pursue those paths. It just didn't feel right at the time. Um, so yeah, I spent a lot of time uh, on walks. I spent a lot of time reading. Uh, I spent a lot of time going back to really my first love of writing, and um, still working on a on a on a, on a few projects here that uh, that take a little bit of my time. And uh, you know, and I, I really had a, a you know wonderful opportunity to connect with you know with my family in ways that I that I hadn't. And uh, you know, obviously those involved in corporate security are on the road a lot. You're you know, you're, you're working all the time. And so I, yeah, I had this wonderful opportunity to, to take stock of my life, as you, as you say, and, you know, like having that tabula rasa, that blank slate to, to think about what, uh, what you want to do and you can write, write out your path a little bit. Well, that uh, let's call it a enforced sabbatical. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, 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 and that's a good thing. I agree. Uh, and back to, you know, this, this mindfulness, all of us should have when, when something allows you to have a disruption of your current circumstance, you can treat that as pain or you can treat that as pain and opportunity. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so you had that 12 months to really think through it. How did you run across the organization you're working for today? Yeah, so it's a great, uh, honestly, it's, I've had a, quite a few people ask me this question because the, I'm in a non, I'm in the nonprofit sector. Now I work for an organization called wildlife conservation society, the preeminent uh, conservation organization in the world, in my opinion, uh, we do fantastic things and uh, really encourage you to go, go check us out. WCS.org. Um, especially if you're interested in the natural world. And, um, and obviously I think uh, we, we all ought to be, we all have a responsibility to the world that we, that we live in. And it's just a fantastic organization. Um, but as you know, it's kind of like these separate, you've got this for-profit sector, you've got a government sector, the nonprofit sector, which is a very different world. Um, and it was a really, well, an old school uh, situation with a sort of a modern twist is I found a, a, a job vacancy uh, on LinkedIn. 
And, um, you know, I, I, I've had recruiters reach out to me, uh, you know, in the for-profit world, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a known quantity there. Um, but the nonprofits, you know, on occasion, I might see something that would come, come up, you know, because I kind of, you know, you keep your ear out. Uh, and I just found a vacancy and applied. And so it was a bit like, you know, you, you know, you or I, when we were younger, we looked in the, you know, you look in the newspaper for, you know, for job openings. And so I applied, I put in my, put in my application and I uh, got a call from HR. We had some conversations and uh, to be honest, uh, the first conversation, it was a little stilted. Uh, you know, there is a different language in the nonprofit world. And I thought, well, you know, it was a good, good practice. I, you know, I met some nice people and I thought, uh, but they kept calling me back, fortunately for me. And uh, we, we kept having conversations and the conversations kept getting uh, more profound, more, more complex. And, um, and that was really nice uh, as an organization, they were getting to know me and really feeling me out to see if I would fit in. I am the first person to sit in this position at WCS. Um, safety and security leadership is something that is not common in the, in the nonprofit world, uh, certainly in the conservation world. You see it more in humanitarian, um, you know, obviously a lot of religious and academic organizations have, have these roles, but in the conservation world, it's not, uh, it's not common. So I'm the first person to sit in this position in my organization. And um, yeah, I'm very, I'm really gratified. I love where I am. I've already had some really amazing opportunities uh, to, to travel to the field and that's just starting to ramp up now. It's, it's uh, fantastic. Uh, you're the kind of guy who doesn't accept right offhand prescriptions for anything. I mean, you, you try to be very, very conscious of your circumstances, your context mm -hmm. and so forth. So yeah. all your years in intelligence and security work with this new, this new slate in the nonprofit world, in a unique sector of the nonprofit world called conservation. Yeah. So what, what do you know, you can't help yourself. You're a security guy, a risk resilient security guy. Same rules apply. Yeah, oh yeah. If not, what's different? Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic question, and I I'm actually like quite pleased when I look at my CV. I, I know that's a maybe that's something we we shouldn't ought to say, but I'm I'm very pleased to have the the what I like to say the .gov, the .com, and now the .org experience and. Um, yeah, it is really different. And it's different in a way that surprised me. So let me, I'll walk you through this a little bit, you know, cause it, you know, in, in the for-profit world, one of the things you're protecting is the, the revenue stream is the profit is the, is the business model. Um, it, you know, in the government, you, you know, you're given very, uh, you know, obviously the, the big one is the existence of the country, right? I mean, your existential threats go to the top of the pile. And then there's all sorts of other things that might fit in that would, um, you know, varying degrees of importance from, uh, you know, from nuclear disarmament, speaking of existential issues, all the way down to a, you know, a, a politician's pet project that might somehow influence uh, intelligence collection. So there's all sorts of things. In the nonprofit world, specifically in the conservation world, uh, you see very quickly that the organization itself is a security organization. When you talk about an organization that is built to protect wild things and wild places, Right, so we're, we're actively protecting animals, species, flora, fauna, all over the world. 
things that really can't protect themselves from the encroachment of the of the of the human economic and and and, and progress you know system if you will um, the organization itself is a security organization something that they you know, like from a linguistic point of view, they hadn't described themselves in that way. But a, a nature conservationist is a security professional for whatever that is that can't protect itself. So let me, I'll, I'll give you a, a very specific example. You know, there's a, uh, you know, when you talk about species, so iconic species, there's a, a, a lowland gorilla called the Grower's gorilla. It's, it's, it's only found in Eastern DRC. So I think that there's some population in Rwanda as well. Um, but uh, Eastern Democratic Republic of the Congo, Eastern Democratic Republic of the Congo. This is a species, obviously, that can't protect itself, that can't see the bigger picture. As humans, we have to protect the species, its landscape, everything else. So that's what I mean when a conservation org is a security org. I've never been part of an organization that has such a, a uh, such an enormous risk appetite. We do things and go places that a you know a for-profit wouldn't dream of, and in fact would you know would would absolutely not do, which you know obviously you know the missions are very different. Um, so you know, and, and working in an org that hasn't had someone in my capacity, uh, we're you know we're 125 years old, and uh, we've got we've got people that have been working in the most far-flung remote parts of the world and have been doing so for decades in a pretty safe manner, I might add. I mean, we're, we're an organization filled with scientists who have really good common sense and, uh, and understand their operating environment very well. So I think, you know, you know, part of my job is to figure out what is needed from this organization, right? So like, you know, conducting gap analyses and figuring out, you know, who are we? What do we do? Where are we? And then how can I protect our, our people in such a way that it directly contributes in a positive way to the overall conservation mission, obviously, that also protects the institution from the type of uh, reputational risk that is sometimes seen in, uh, you know, in the world press. You, we've seen this in humanitarian missions when individuals on humanitarian or, or security missions are involved in uh, you know, dangerous or illicit behavior that can have a reputational impact upon the organization. We've seen this with, you know, with, with the military, with the United Nations, with, uh, with all sorts of nonprofits as well. And so I've got to make sure that all of those things balance in such a way that we protect our people while we're protecting wild things and wild places in a way that protects the institution. And so my, uh, it's, it's been fantastic. Uh, like I said, I've been here since the end of 2021, um, and most of my time has been learning the organization. And so that's, that's particularly gratifying to belong to an organization that is interested in doing things right, interested in making sure that we get it right, not just we need something now, just do whatever now, but rather take the time because we want to get it right. And so that 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 part's been really fascinating, and uh, you know the, the for profit and and uh, the dot gov parts of the world sometimes have um, sometimes have a bias for immediate action that can sometimes prevent us from doing things in in, in the best way possible, right? So scientists are data driven. The scientific process oh, yeah. relies on data. It relies on hypothesis and proving the hypothesis wrong or right over time, 
with a very, very uh, data-driven approach. Um, you're still early on. You're, you know, a few months into yeah. Yeah. What can you forecast a little bit of how you either uh, relying on old processes that you've learned or even new technology that you yeah. become aware of? How are you going to leverage that and you're leveraging it right now to proscribe and prescribe uh, risk resilient security uh, governance within WWF? Great, great question. It's a great question because the obviously the operating model for a, a nonprofit is very different uh, uh, from a for-profit as we were discussing earlier. Um, Another thing to consider is that an organization like ours is grown up organically from field-based programs. So the way we do conservation, and this isn't just us, but the way we deliver conservation in one part of the world looks and feels necessarily so very different to another part. And you can imagine like, you know, the, the pieces of the world we're trying to protect, us and others, because there's other fantastic conservation organizations and, and partners and governments and everything else. Um, those parts of the world that we're trying to protect are necessarily some of the most remote in the world, the farthest from the infrastructural development of, you know, of the human world. So some of these places are very low governance parts of the world. As you can imagine, obviously being remote, they're going to be low governance. And some of those places of low governance are in places in countries that don't have a lot of resources or you know, real government efficacy. So there might be places that we take a more advanced role, that we you know, co-manage landscapes with governments. There's some parts of the world that are incredibly uh, you know, advanced and evolved in terms of governance structures and where our role is you know, maybe just scientific technical assistance. Um, you know, and, and so there's, there's a wide spectrum of how we do the job in the field. So not each one of those, the way that I, you know, sorry, not each one of those is going to require the same amount of uh, oversight of, you know, regulation, if you will, or protection, if you will, from a safety and security point of view that others will. So part of this in my role now is just learning how we do things differently in different places, which is uh, always surprising and interesting. And, um, and I, I can't stress how, uh, how different that can look. Right. So designing a global program. Yeah, there's going to be pieces and things. Right. So safety and first aid training. Right. That's something that everyone needs. It doesn't matter if you're in an office. It doesn't matter if you're out in, in a rainforest. You need to know how to how to take care of yourself, how to uh, to the threats that are, are with you in an office. You might need to know where the fire extinguisher is and how to escape the building and where to assemble and what to do in case of an earthquake. And there's things to do. And where's the first aid kit in the kitchen? That changes a whole lot when you are a, you know, a three-day hike to a dirt airstrip that can take you to a field hospital where you can get some first aid and then need to be taken another few days by a bumpy motorcycle ride into a bigger city. You know, you know what you have to do to what you need to put into place changes very much and, you know, with it, within those two things. That's just that. So, there could be a day, again, you're just months into this, but there could be a day where you're collecting the experience 
that these various actors have across the world, contextualized by experiences throughout the world, and beginning to be a clearinghouse possibly for that knowledge and how to apply it for future scientists? Yeah, exactly. So we, uh, you know, we have an open access model. So we try to share all the data that we have, obviously, with the exception of, you know, personal and personally identifying information, of course, which is, you know, private, but everything we collect in the field, we are, we are totally open and transparent about and trying to give that to the world so that, um, you know, that best practices as they relate to natural conservation can be shared and kept and maintained and deployed in the future. So I love this because, you know, serendipitously for the last year, I've really been digging into protective intelligence uh, as a discipline back in the mm-hmm. you know, days and as yeah. a uh, evolving technology platform, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I can see where you can take that centralized hub that they already have in place. They're already collecting information on conservation efforts but because they have now decided to have a discipline called security and safety inside the organization, how you interface or meld those two disparate platforms into one could be be game-changing for the conservation industry. Absolutely, absolutely. So my my goal is, yeah, I mean, there are things that we need right out of the gate, but my goal, and I've been very explicit with this with our our leadership and our, uh, you know, with, with the leadership of the organization, that my goal is that in future, I can be in a position to actively uh, you know, you know, not only suggest, but also to say, this is the way that safety and security ought and should be done in this location. And that will have a positive impact right. upon conservation. Right. So if you look at a place like, you know, let's just, you know, talking about places of, of relative low governance, you know, Eastern DRC is right up there, you know, where we operate, we, we operate in places like South Sudan, like, you know, Central African Republic. Um, and if you look at the threats on landscape, so illegal logging, uh, mining, poaching, um, you know, there's human and wildlife conflict, all of these things that have an impact upon the places where we're trying to work, um, you can imagine that's uh, the opportunity and the risk for violent encounter is really high. Uh, we're talking about parts of the world where weapons are not hard to come by, where a lot of people are armed. Uh, where you have a lot of competing interests, um, some of which have nothing to do with uh, with conservation. And uh, you'd be amazed at some of the places where we work, where there are some active conflicts that don't touch us at all. And other parts of the world that appear peaceful from, you know, from the Western media point of view, but where our work is very much threatened. You know, you talk about, uh, you know, wildlife trafficking or the trafficking of wild animals in wild animal parts. Um, you know, that has an impact and that that supply chain is all throughout the world, even in places that you might not consider. So you've got you've got all of these different types of pressures. But to your earlier point, I think, uh, you know, my career, uh, this is just where I'm at in life right now, trying to use all the experience and history that I have up until now, some of which is incredibly applicable, some of which I'm needing to, you know, needing to learn new 
um, even if it's just a new perspective on an old problem. Some of those are new problems that I'm bringing an old perspective to. So there, you know, there, there's all sorts of things that, that you look at, but the, the sort of basic approach of this is the organization, this is the mission, those things ought need to be protected. How do we do so effectively and well? That's the, you know, that's the, the core of the job. Um, but there, there's not really a template for that because no one's been sitting in, in the seat, so to speak. Um, you know, and there's, you know, there's folks in the field that are doing some safety and security things that have grown up organically from the field. And so part of the job is just tightening and figuring out what the structure ought to look like. Um, but these are all really interesting challenges. It's been a lot of fun. I've met a lot of really fascinating people, uh, as you might imagine. Uh, the, the, the conservation world attracts, uh, you know, really incredible skill set, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of amazing scientists in the organization. Right. You see yourself traveling around the world? Yeah, in fact, that's a, that's a really important uh, part. I was in, uh, I was in uh, Uganda and Rwanda and uh, Democratic Republic of the Congo last month and spent, uh, spent a few weeks there assessing uh, one of our, one of our sites. And uh, so that, that was really fantastic. We've just signed a, um, we've just signed a private public partnership agreement with the government of, uh, of DRC for the management of the Cahuzzi Biega National Park, which is one of the last places where the Growers Gorilla can be found. Um, and, you know, those who follow the news know that Eastern DRC is a, is a, you know, it's a tough area. There's a lot of challenges there. Um, a lot of challenges for an organization and its operations, but a lot of challenges for the people that live there. And it's just a, you know, just a function of life there that there's low levels of governance and people have to work out things on their own and, and just get by. And so, it, you know, it, it's a, it's a totally different operating environment, but it's fantastic. Uh, that trip uh, was life-changing in many ways. I don't think we have time to get into it, but, uh, you know, I got to see gorillas in the wild up close. Uh, you know, and that's, I've never had that happen before. I've, I've been on safari. I've been, I've seen things in the, in the world all over. That was the first time I've ever seen a gorilla up close. And I was, you know, 10 feet away. And uh, that was, uh, that was really incredible seeing how people in, in the DRC live um, the, the levels of poverty, the, le the, the, the low levels of infrastructure and development there that impact their lives every day. I mean, it really was life-changing in many ways. And that's just one place where we work. I'll be on the road. Uh, I'll be in Mesoamerica uh, coming up in the next uh, next week, actually, I'll be there. And um, so really excited to see how we're doing conservation in that part of the world with very different challenges and, um, you know, different different threats on the landscape from, from narco trafficking to, you know, to cattle ranching. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's a really, really fascinating job but it keeps you uh, very engaged it keeps the mind engaged to think about these issues i've always uh since uh, 2002 when i started uh working in the security space and got to meet leaders from the agency world from law enforcement from military um who were in organizations um fighting for a seat at the table, um, what I used to encourage those leaders is to remember a CEO's main responsibility is navigating risk and opportunity. Mm, mm. And what I'm finding so intriguing about your new world and how they engaged you is they wanted 
you at the table. They wanted a risk, resilience, security professional at the table as they navigate those risks yeah. and opportunities contextualized around the world. I think that's just fascinating. Yeah, in fact, it's a great, great point, Ron. It is so gratifying. Um, and you know, I, you and I both know this. We, we talk to people in the security industry all the time, how, how rare it is to have a seat at the table. Right. And most of the folks that we know that have a seat had to fight and scratch and claw and uh, convince and, you know, whatever they needed to do to get to that table. Uh, and I, I know just, you know, with my conversations, this is, you know, it's, it, <laughs> I think there's a lot of folks that have a lot of envy here. Um, they brought to your point, they brought me in knowing that they wanted me to sit at the table. And so much so that when you're at that, you know, proverbial table and everyone turns to you and says, what do you think? You know, if it, you're taken aback a little bit the first time because we are so accustomed to just just try to get there. Um, but my first day, I'm at the table and they're saying, "What do you think?" And that so that it's really amazing. The organization is it's incredible on on very many levels. I, I don't know if we if we touched upon it in this conversation or earlier, but um, they are very interested in doing things correctly and. Uh, you know, as you as you correctly pointed out before, as a scientific organization, they are constantly evaluating their processes and delivery mechanisms. Um, and if things aren't effective and aren't working, they don't keep doing them. And uh, you know, for for our colleagues in in many other parts of the world, that is a source of frustration. You know, it, you know, you can see this isn't working. So why are we doing this? Um, so it's really nice to be at a place where they're like you know, we, we want to do this correctly. So do it correctly. Take the time that you need. Think about it. Plan it out. The reason um, I really wanted to have this conversation is how I opened up about you. You, I think, had a thirst for taking essential or core values in this case, seems that WCS wants to save other species to, and, and, and by doing that, save mankind. Absolutely. And then their business model is contextualize scientific rigor in how to do that and partnering with governments and private institutions to uh, make it more efficient and uh, also more holistic. Uh, yeah. and, and here they applied that same core value to you. And I, I'm just excited for you. This has been a great conversation with Tyson Aiken. Tyson, thank you so much. Thank you, Ron. Really appreciate the time. Take good care.